invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a familiar place. Uh, During these weeks here, I've just said, let's do some straightforward messages from that Christmas account. So let's return to a Christmas story there in Luke chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to be reading about the shepherds. Imagine for a moment, as I, I look out in front of me, I see hundreds of people. I presume in a few days that collectively there will be over a thousand presents opened. That's a lot. And if they're like virtually every present that I have opened, there will be some excitement initially, and then it will have a time where that will fade, right? It's just a matter of time. But imagine a gift was presented to you that kept its joy beyond Christmas Day. Beyond the New Year's, you even had that joy with you when you returned to school or or to your workplace. It was a joy that lasted the rest of your lifetime and throughout your eternity by receiving a gift. We're going to read about such a gift, not something wrapped up with wrapping paper and a bow and tied with a beautiful little string, but the gift of a person that has come to us in Jesus Christ. Let's read about him here in Luke chapter 2 in order to get some context. Let's start in verse 7, but then we'll read verses 8 through 20. In Luke chapter 2, it says, And she, this is Mary, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swathing claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Shall we pray? Father, before us, we see the first recipients of this message that Jesus has been born. And we see from them an appropriate response to this word of the Lord. We see how they went, and they come and beheld this child. In worship, and then they went and they shared that news with others. I pray that we would be challenged by such a message, but it would not just 
challenge us in our minds. But use your word again to speak to us, to bring conviction that we would be changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who are parents, I'm wondering, how did you announce the birth of your child or your children? I presume that could be different based on the generation in which you were raised or which you had this child. I'm not so much sure how much uh, I know about my parents, my grandparents' generation, but as a child, I can remember driving through the countryside of Wisconsin or Minnesota and seeing signs out in front of a house or maybe painted on a barn that said, it's a boy or it's a girl. It was an announcement to the local community and those who were driving by that the one that was expecting there in that house had now given birth. And Back then, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl until it was actually born. It was a cause of celebration. Even as a stranger driving by a countryside, I could say, wow, that family has given birth and they are celebrating that in their home. Well, Today, we often will take a picture or, or send it through our text or through a, a, a social media platform in which we announce the birth of a child. And there might be some really creative, innovative ways to do that. But I think we'll be all in agreement that none of them will be able to match what we see here in this passage. This announcement brought to us by an angel and then a multitude of angels. Now, wanting just to work through this passage verse by verse, let's pick it up again here in verse 8. It says, and in the same region, the same region that baby Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field. Looking out before me today, many of you appreciate the scriptures. Many of you are very well acquainted with this passage. And you know that shepherds were the uneducated unskilled, and even dishonest men and women that they were observed at in the first century. In fact, I read this week that a shepherd was not even permitted to testify in a court hearing because they would not think that that person would tell the truth. I read in a Jewish document called the Mishnah that if you were to walk upon a a shepherd that was in a pit, you would not need to feel obligated to rescue them from the pit. These were the lower class within this society. These were men, women, potentially, that worked out in the fields, and they worked seven days a week. And imagine, they were not able to go to the Sabbath and honor the man-made rules of the time. And so there are these men there out in the field. Of all the people that would be the first recipient of, of this baby's birth, why would it be these men? Well, as we read more of the prophecies of this child to come, this baby one day would stand up in a temple and he would read Isaiah 61.1 that reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus' ministry was not to that of the self-righteous or the self-sufficient but to the lowly of heart. And the first recipients of this are the shepherds of all people. We read a little bit further that they were out in the field. 
As I was studying this this week, what I understood is during the day, shepherds would be out in the field with their sheep. But at night, they would bring them back closer to the fold or to the pen where they could monitor them much more closer. And they could keep an eye on them throughout the evening to protect them from wolves or other such ferocious enemies. They were on the field keeping watch of their flock by night. And then we see in verse 9, they are visited by an angel. Now if you've been rereading this Christmas story over the last couple of days or weeks, you are, you are identified to see all sorts of angels appearing on the scene. In fact, we could look at Luke chapter 1 and we can read about Zechariah and Elizabeth. This would be the mom and dad of John the Baptist. An angel comes to announce the birth of this child. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33, we see an angel named Gabriel comes. And he announces to Mary that she will give birth to a son. Last Sunday, an angel came to Joseph. And he announced to Joseph that he would be the father, the earthly father of the Savior, Emmanuel. And so we see this story peppered with these instances of angels serving as the messengers of God. I think it's worth pointing out, contrary to Christmas movies, these angels are separate beings. They are different than humans. And humans, when they die, do not convert to be an angel, but rather they are separate. They are messengers who carry out the word of God here. And we see here in this account, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. There is a thread of this idea that runs throughout the scriptures of the glory of the Lord. We hear about it in the Old Testament. It is God's presence manifested in a very bright light. We read about it in the book of Exodus, in chapter 24, where the glory of the Lord shone around the Mount Sinai as, as Moses would go up to receive the law. We read about it a little bit later in Exodus chapter 40 when this tabernacle, this portable temple is constructed and it is dedicated. In Exodus chapter 40, the glory of the Lord surrounds this place. We read about the glory of the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 8 when this permanent structure, the temple, this place of worship is dedicated and the glory of the Lord comes down and pervades this place as well. But this threat is carried out in the prophets as well. And because of the hardness of God's people's hearts and their stubbornness and their disobedience, we see in the book of Ezekiel where the glory of the Lord leaves the temple and it does not appear again in the Old Testament. The next time the glory of the Lord appears is right here in Luke chapter 2. Not in a temple. Not in a tabernacle, but right there among common people, the shepherds. The glory of the Lord, as it says here in verse 9, shone around them and they were filled with great fear. This is consistent with whenever someone comes into contact with God or the glory of God, fear strikes them. And then the angel speaks in verse 10. The angel says to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. They will proclaim what God wants them to say instead of offering a word of wrath and judgment. They say, you don't need to be afraid. I bring to you good news. And you're acquainted with that in the, in the Greek language. That is the word euangelion, which is the word gospel. We might say, the angels have said, don't be afraid. I have come to proclaim to you the gospel. It is good news of not just joy, but great joy. We have come to present a gift to you with lasting implications for your joy. This is why this angel has come to speak to the shepherds. And it says here in verse 10, this is not just for the shepherds, but it is for all the people. We can look over a little bit later in this chapter, in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is dedicated, and we see him here in verse 28. There's this man named Simeon that meets him, and he takes him in his arms. He blessed God, and he says in verse 29, it says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The angel declares to the shepherds, we have the gospel to bring to you. It will bring great joy and it's not just for you shepherds. It's for all the people. It says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to pause here because this baby here in this verse is offered three different names. And I think it would be worth our time just to examine each of them one at a time. The first is the word Savior. He is saying to the shepherds, We've got good news for you of great joy. The Savior has been born. The greatest need that you have, shepherds, is to be saved from your sins. And one has come to do exactly that. My wife has uh, told me of a, a devotional she was reading this week that contained a story of a missionary who was from uh, Belgium. And he went to the Hawaiian Islands. His name was Damien. He was born 1840 to 1889. And this missionary would live among lepers in a leper's colony. He, he went to build houses and schools and roads and hospitals and churches. He provided not only medical but also emotional support. He made coffins and he dug graves. He would eat with the lepers. And when he was within this colony for 11 years, one day... He was handling some scalding hot water and it dripped over his hands and he thought, I didn't feel that. And he realized that he had contracted leprosy himself. He had not only come to identify with them, to to live among them, but he also got the disease and he would die among them. Now every illustration breaks down at some point, but there is a picture here of, of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven 
Philippians 2, 6, 7 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He came to live among us sinners. And no, that sin never came upon and crept into who he was. He, he maintained his Godhead state and he was always deity during that time. But ultimately, he would absorb the sins of yours and mine when he went to the cross to save us from our sin. This is why he came. The second word here in verse 11, the first is Savior. The next word is the word Christ. The Greek form is Christ. The Hebrew form is the word Messiah. It just means anointed one. If you are here this morning just exploring this Christianity stuff, and you're asking yourself, who is this Jesus? I'm here to declare to you he was not just one random man. But there are 39 books here in the Old Testament that speak about his coming, and he comes to fulfill prophecy. Every single one of these words in the Old Testament point to a coming Christ. And so when we get to Luke chapter 2, he is the fulfillment of this. A long time ago, I remember our choir sang a cantata. I think it was called No Other Name, and it, it really inspired my wife, as she is an artist, to be able to take the, the Old Testament books and to, to identify where Jesus is in each one of those. And she began to do some artwork towards it. I was thinking about that. I was meditating on this passage. You've probably heard some of these. In Genesis, Jesus is the ram at Abraham's altar. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, Jesus is the high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of our refuge. In Joshua, he is our scarlet thread out Rahab's window. In Judges, he is our judge. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In the Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he is the Mordecai sitting at the faithful at the gate. In Job, he's our redeemer, whoever liveth. In Psalms, he is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, it is Jesus that is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of a fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, our savior. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary that tells the word of God into all the world. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman that is ever praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the Lord that shall be king over all the earth. He is the Lord and the name one. In Malachi, he is the Lord of hosts and the source of abundant blessings. The point of that is that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So when the, the angel proclaims this, 
It's not that you just need a Savior, but this is the Savior that these 39 books have been pointing to you. And then there's a final word here in verse 11. He is Christ the Lord. He is Lord. He is the one that is esteemed. He is the one that is worthy of your reverence and respect and your obedience. I suspect many of us would gravitate to the first two. I do need a Savior. I have sinned. It's really helpful to know that this is backed up by all this history and that he's a fulfillment of thousands and hundreds of years. But this idea of, Lord, I'm not quite sure about that. Last night, I kind of hit a stopping point within this message. and I thought, I'm a little hungry. I'm, I think I'm going to go grab a bite to eat. And so I went up, up off of military to grab a bite to eat to a little restaurant, a uh, fast food restaurant. And I was waiting in line. There was a guy next to me. We just struck up a conversation. And in our conversation, he had indicated that he was homeless. And I said, you know what? You get whatever you want. I'll buy it for you. And so he did. And uh, he, he's ordered himself a meal. And as I whirled around to him, I said, listen, I'm a Christian. And I wonder, do you know Jesus? And his response was he had a pretty good understanding of the gospel. He said, I was born in Arkansas. And I attended a Southern Baptist church. And I'm like, Southern Baptist. Hmm. <laughs> and, and he began to share, you know what? I know he has died for my sins. I know he has died in my place. But the truth is, I have been unwilling to repent. And I looked at him and I said, what would you think if you were talking right now to a Southern Baptist pastor? He said, are you kidding? (laughs) I said, no. Do you think that there is any accident right now that you and I are having this conversation? And I just said, I would urge you to repent. It sounds like God has put truth into your life. Now what you need to do, friend, is you need to repent. You see, Jesus has come for people just like you and I. And I was thinking of the shepherds. He came for shepherds just like you and I. It's not enough to have him our Savior and as our Christ, but he also must be our Lord. And that was a stopping point for this man. And I wonder if it's a stopping point for you. And I would urge you as well to turn from your sins, that he would be your Lord as well. It says here in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now the sign wasn't so much that you would see a baby uh, wrapped in swaddling cloths. That would be common. But to find a baby in that condition lying in a manger, that would be distinct. So this is the sign that you are to look for. In Bethlehem, it is possible in this little village that there were more than one baby that was born that night. But it's very unlikely that there was more than one baby that was in a manger. So this is the sign that you are to look for. This is the message they left. And now as the angel has said this, verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. This word multitude would refer to at least a thousand, it could be thousands of angels. And this is what they are saying. 
glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so there's this choir that is singing. And they are offering glory. Now, I remind you that these angels are created beings that had never sinned before. But yet they had such an appreciation for who God is and what Jesus was doing. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons. And so this time had come. The fullness of time had arrived. And the angels show up and they are praising God for it. Now, if the angels do such a thing and they have yet to be or they have never been redeemed from their sins, they've never been forgiven of their sins like we would be. And they're praising God. How much more ought we to praise God and to glorify him as well? That it says here, peace among those with whom he is pleased. May they experience peace, peace with God. This is not a peace that is granted because of a religious practice, but it's a peace that is granted as this gift has been received, a gift of this person who is a Savior, who is Christ, and who is of Lord. This is the peace that comes that is enduring. Now verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We're not exactly sure how long the the angels hung out there, but eventually the, the musical ends, and they return to the heavens, and the angels look at one another, and they said, let us go to Bethlehem. But But notice this little observation here. It says in verse 15, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They saw this message from the angel as a word from the Lord. And is this not the pattern that we have today? That the word of the Lord is proclaimed to us, not by an angel, but by the very word of God. And he has called us to come and see, go and investigate who this Jesus is. Seek a Savior. Seek the Messiah. Seek the one who would be Lord of your life. And by faith, we go to the pages of Scripture and we believe. We see this in verse 16. I like this part. And they went with haste. Not exactly sure who was left watching the sheep. It could be that they said, if the Lord has delivered this message to us, he can take care of the sheep. Let us go. It would not be the first time in the New Testament that someone would pursue Jesus and leave their stuff right there. Amen? Do you remember? Do you remember when Peter and his brother Andrew were visited by Jesus? And Jesus said, follow me. What did they do? They left their nets right there. We could read that in Luke chapter 5. Or how about Levi or slash Matthew in Luke chapter 5 as well? He was sitting there at his collecting table as an accountant. And Jesus said, come and, and follow me. And what he do? He left his stuff right there. Or how about in John chapter 5, the woman at the well? She'd come and met him. And, and Jesus proclaimed truth to her. And what she do? She left her bucket right there to go down and proclaim what had happened. 
There is this pattern. When Jesus reveals himself, we go after him. Is he revealing himself to you this morning? Come and see who he is. And as it says in verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just as he said it would be. Verse 17 says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. There is a pattern here. There is a pattern that we will see throughout the New Testament. It's a twofold message, right? It's not only one, come and see. But once you have seen, it's go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. This is what we see here among the shepherds. When they arrive and they've seen this child, the promised one, they cannot help themselves but to proclaim that the word of God that has come to them. And I don't think it would be much of a stretch, although the scripture does not say it, for them to proclaim it and then for Mary to share her story or Joseph and Joseph to share his story and to have a combination of all this stuff affirming who this child is. And verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. As they shared this message of the good news of great joy, people were contemplating that. And then in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then listen to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it had been told them. You see, when they returned to work after Christmas, they were still praising the Lord. They were still glorifying because they had received the message. They had received the person. They had received the lasting gift of good news, of great joy. This is the joy of Christmas. I have, I have no illusions that the thousands of gifts that will be opened over the next few days will bring you lasting joy or happiness. But I do have, I do have a great confidence for those of us who have trusted Christ that you can experience this lasting joy not only in the Christmas, not only in the New Year's, not only when you return to school and to work, but all of your life and lasting throughout eternity. Have you received this gift? I don't watch much TV. I love watching sports. I love watching Wisconsin sports. If there is a program that we watch on occasion, I'm not even sure what time of the year it is, but it would be America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. And not all of those skits are are family-friendly, and we find ourselves uh, fast-forwarding some. We typically watch it just off of YouTube. But I suppose the reason I like Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent, is because of one person, Simon Cowell. (laughs) I mean, I I like that guy. I think he always has good judgment, and, and I like how he puts a person in his place. I remember five years ago reading about Simon when his girlfriend was pregnant. And at that time, she was about ready to deliver. He was right in the middle of Britain's Got Talent and America's Got Talent. And he was flying from London to Los Angeles throughout the week. And one reporter asked him, how is this child going to change your life? You know what he said? I'm paraphrasing now. I just read this article last week again. 
He said, here's the trick. You can't let that baby change your life. You, you just got to live your life and let that baby adjust to you. And then if you know Britain's Got Talent, then you know David, who's a comedian that sits next to him. And David said in the same article, listen, Simon, I, I've, got a, I've got a promise for you. You are going to love that child more than you love yourself. You know what Simon said? Two words. Not possible. <laughs> and if you know him, well, I don't know him, but from what I've seen, I could see how he would say both of those things. Now, I don't know his heart. I don't know how things have changed, if they have changed in these five years. But as I've thought about his response to that baby, I can't help but think of the response that we could have to the baby here in Luke chapter 2. Are you avoiding him? Do you feel threatened by him? Or would you come and see? Come and see the Savior that has offered forgiveness for your sins. The one who was promised about in the Old Testament. The one who would rule your life. Would you bend the knee? Would you allow him to be Lord of your life? Let's bow our heads. I'm not going to do anything mystical or silly here. But I want to give you an opportunity just to pray. And as you sit here this morning, would you say that you are still in your sins? Or have you been saved from your sins? Jesus has come to take your sins upon him there on the cross. Have you placed your faith in him? He is the promised one He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And right where you are at, would you say, I want to be forgiven of my sins. God, I want to bow my life to you. I want you to be Lord. Enter my life. Take control. I want to follow you. Fill me. And I I want to I want to live for you the rest of my life. When we turn from our sins, when we we place our faith in what Jesus has done to us, the Bible says that we are born again. And that we ought to live differently. We ought to have a heart to obey Him, a heart to read the Scriptures, a heart to pray. Hard to tell others of what has happened to us, just like the shepherds. And I pray that that would happen to you if it hasn't already happened to you today, maybe right now or during this Christmas time. Father, pray that you would take this message, this simple message, and we would apply it to our lives just as the shepherds applied it to their lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.